Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast with Drew Stevens. I'm Matt Gentile. And hey, Drew, the Chicago Bulls have done it. They've stumbled into the Eastern Conference play-in tournament. And the journey has been so anticlimactic, and the week has been just a major, major letdown. After last week's episode, Bulls notched two straight victories. They beat a weak Hornets team on the road, followed up with an impressive come-from-behind win against the Grizzlies, and with a chance to move up in the play-in standings to possibly as high as the eighth seed, they lay two giant, massive-ass eggs, first on Tuesday against a shorthanded Hawks team, and then again on Wednesday against a shorthanded Bucks squad. So now they're locked into the 10th seed, the lowest possible seed you can have, and will have to survive in advance on the road if they want to get out of the play tournament. So, Drew, you got to witness some of this even courtside, the the thrilling come-from-behind win, and then the letdown on Tuesday against the Hawks. Your thoughts on everything that's that's transpired since we've last been on the mic? Matt, it's, it's this season in a nutshell, basically. You, you, you feel a euphoric high from them coming back against a pretty good Memphis Grizzlies team and the way that they did it, kind of flipping the switch in the second half and turning the Grizzlies over and just really looking like a, a bona fide playoff team. And, of course, with the way the season has gone, I feel like maybe we should have expected a letdown. That being said, Atlanta was, I think, outscoring opponents like by 8.4 points without Trey Young on the floor post-All-Star break. So it wasn't as if like this team was going to lay down. They still have pretty good players. They're still very athletic and obviously can cause issues for, for opposing teams. But it just goes to further show us that this Bulls team – as currently constructed, just is not very opportunistic whatsoever. Like every time they've had a chance to, dare I say, round the corner, they stop just short of it, if not take a step or two back. So at this point, it's just more so what can we see from a healthy Zach Levine in one or two playing games? possibly a first round playoff series, what more development or what, how many more steps can we see Patrick Williams or Kobe White take in those games? And how does that, how does that kind of inform the front office about what they should do this coming off season? Well, and it's been the story all year, man, this, inability to seize the opportunity and like i said they're setting this whole thing up see they could have seized the opportunity to get an eighth seed like and that would have been i think a little more enticing and it's just you know especially after that memphis game that feeling of hey they might actually make this kind of more enticing um because you're right like we talked about it a little bit last week the real i think joy that bulls fans are going to have out of this is seeing Zach Levine healthy at full strength in this kind of postseason play. You know, can he raise his level in the play-in? If they advance, can he raise his level in the in possibly a playoff matchup? But 
when you back in the way the Bulls have backed in, it just sucks all the fun out of it. It's just like the 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 air comes right out of the balloon and you just feel like, well, great. We're we we backed in, we stumbled in, locked in at the 10th seed, and it just has a, a, a yucky feeling. You know, like that's the best way to put it. It's a yucky feeling. Yeah, that's and that's exactly how I felt, especially when the NBC Sports Chicago social media account blasted out the playoff or the play inbound graphic. I was like, oh man, that it's just just some things just are better left just unsaid. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it, it goes without saying that probably didn't even need to be spread across everybody's socials. It just yeah made it worse. Made it worse. Hey, I, I gave it the old eye roll. Um and you know you feel bad because I mean, that is where the Bulls are televised. They want to hype up the fact that, like, the team's into some level of postseason play. I mean, we talked about this. I I never want to tout the play-in tournament as playoff basketball. Like, to me, it's still not playoff basketball. By definition, it's not. So, I mean, we'll see. And, and you know, it's... I'm with you. It's about looking at Zach Levine, seeing if he takes that next step. If other players rise to the occasion, Kobe White, Patrick Williams, you know, they've really, I think, individually turned a corner. Each of those two post all-star break. Um, I think Kobe's actually been pretty solid all year, but I really want to see like how they perform and how that affects this coming off season. Because I, I do think, you know, you, you kind of have this sense that there could be something looming in terms of of changing up the roster. Um, I'm really excited, Drew, about our next guest here on the Rebuild the Bowl podcast because he's been on multiple times and you and I both said he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever encounter. You've gotten to encounter him a lot in person and I've you know had him on in the past when I was flying solo He's the editor at Bulls Confidential. He's none other than Michael Walton. Mike, thanks for coming on. How's it going? It is going great, guys. I just want to say, uh, first time, glad to be back on. Sorry, it's uh, been so long. The Bulls for a while weren't giving us much to talk about, but uh, even with things looking weird, they've been playing some good ball as of late, regardless of what you hear out there. So uh, definitely appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate you, man. We had a... You and I had the chance to meet. I believe it was the first game they hosted the Indiana Pacers this season. So yeah. it was it was great to meet you. Great to see your face, man. Interact interact with you a lot on Twitter. Um, I kind of see you going back and forth with with certain fans about certain things on game nights or other nights in general. So it's a pleasure to to finally speak with you, kind of in this in this realm with Matt. So um, you know, you you spoke just now about how the Bulls are playing better than, you know, we might want to admit given the last two games that they dropped and their last two opponents being shorthanded. But given the way the season has gone, them running very hot and cold and a lot of fans just kind of building up a, a, a lot of, um, you know, just angst with this team and its, its yeah. direction yeah. and its future. What's your what's your temperature like on the Bulls right now? And uh, you mean sort of just like the big picture here now moving forward? 
<laughs> like the rest, like um, just currently, just in this as of this moment right now. How, okay. In your gut, in your gut, how are you feeling about the Bulls? Yeah. So um, as of right now, honest, honest opinion uh, in my gut. As I go back and forth with people every day on Twitter. Um, the people who don't know me in real life, I'm sure just think I, I'm the biggest homer. But those who know me personally know I probably am the only person as hard on the Bulls outside of Billy Donovan, I would say, um, in the city. So my my current sort of pulse on the team right now, um, I feel generally good about them. And it's just because I think they are making the best out of sort of the hand they've been dealt, so to speak. Um, right now, this is a team where when you look at their roster – Anyone with even a basic you know, knowledge of the league right now will tell you, oh, wow, this is an offensive team. Lots of offensive firepower. Lots of guys who aren't known to guard people. Not sure if this is going to be a good team, but they're certainly going to score a lot. And you watch the team this year. It's been the exact opposite. And fans get very angry at head coaches because that's sort of the nature of sports. So I get it. Um, Billy Donovan has taken a ton of criticism, both earned and unearned. So I'm not going to go here to defend him. But I, what I will say is the Bulls have been a top 10 defense for most of the year. Um, obviously, credit goes to the players. But like I said, because of that personnel, I think a huge amount of credit has to go to Billy Donovan, Mo Cheeks, and the rest of that staff. And I think that I feel good about the team right now is because when it comes to postseason basketball, everything's slowing down. It's going to be about your defense and if you can stop teams in a half-court setting. Um, of course, also, if you can put up points in a half-court setting. But if you can slow teams down, that gives you a chance to win when the games really matter. And so despite how up and down and sort of weird the Bulls have been this year, I think even in the fact that we've seen them perform well against the top teams, they've sort of shown you they have the blueprint for playoff basketball, at least in terms of slowing games down, making it a grinded-out half-court uh, fest. Um, they have done better as of late generating points in transition, um, but without sort of jumping the shark here, that's something that I'm not really too concerned about with them because you're not going to see that matter as much in the postseason. So I feel good about the Bulls because they understand that you have to win with defense. In most teams, it takes years to get them to just buy into that. So the fact that the Bulls at least have a defensive foundation, I, I think they can add on to this and build something from here as long as you're keeping Zach Levine as, as the centerpiece. So um, despite people sort of being hot and cold up and down on the team, I just think if you eliminate all the noise, calm down, look at the roster of the team and what do you think? You think Zach Levine is a great young player and you have a team that's playing defense despite the fact that Zach Levine himself might not as much as you want. So you clearly have the framework, I think, of something that can be a winning formula, but you just have to build it out from here because I think even people in Chicago who love this team would admit none of the players really compliment Zach Levine. They're just great players, and the team is able to win despite that. Let's talk a little bit about postseason basketball. You brought it up. So with the plan approaching here and among the Raptors, Hawks, and Heat, which opponent concerns you the most in that 9-10 matchup for the Bulls? Yeah, so thankfully with the East, I mean, both sides of the league have been, you know, great this year with the drama and the standings. I will give them credit. I think as with most things these days, I hated the play-in tournament the day it was sort of announced and I've come to love it. I'm sure I'll love the in-season tournament one day too. So first shout out to Silver. I, I give him a lot of flack, but the play-in tournament has been an excellent addition. But 
Um, the East standings, as I was getting at here, have been kind of set almost for a while now and definitely even more so now. So thankfully, I've had a while to look at this and as I'm sure you guys have too, and think about this. It's pretty clear, I think, unfortunately, the most likely matchup, I think, that's going to happen, which is going to the Raptors, um, going to Toronto for that 9-10 matchup. That's the team I would least want to play right off the bat. Um, for the Bulls specifically, I want no part of the Raptors, especially if you're talking about a one-game um, winner-take-all setting. And so, you know, without getting too ahead of myself discussing that matchup, um, definitely would be worried about the Raptors the most. And then in terms of the least, this one decided a long time ago. Um, I've been very vocal on Twitter about this one to people. And few people, you know, as always, there's some pushback. But more people than I expected actually kind of saw the vision with this. The Miami Heat worry me the least. Um, despite the fact that they have the championship, you know, caliber pedigree here of being to the NBA Finals recently, I don't even need to say much about Jimmy Butler. We are all very familiar with his work um, and his motivations when playing against Chicago for very obvious reasons. But even with all of that stuff, um, Jimmy is awesome. Bam Adebayo is, I think, maybe the most underrated player in the NBA. Like, I, I think he should probably have a defensive player of the year award or two by now and he doesn't and I think he should be talked about as one of the best bigs and really the guy I don't know if it's just Miami or what but I feel like Bam doesn't get enough respect so even though I'm sort of disrespecting their team a bit now I do just want to take a detour and give him a shout out because he's been awesome all year but um outside of Jimmy and Bam is literally why for the Bulls I think that matchup works um Tyler Hero dynamite score give him some respect as well but their team is built like the Bulls where you have these central figures and Butler and Bam, and then you have a lot of role players who sort of have had varying degrees of living up to their expectations. Um, you know, you talk about someone like Kyle Lowry, who's been hurt a lot. Uh, you talk about a guy like Max Struess, who's been awesome, knocking down the three as expected. Guys like Gabe Vincent, who got a lot better. And then you talk about someone like Dwayne Dedman, who didn't even survive the season on the team and ended up being cut after, I think, throwing like a Theragun on the court or something wild. But the point is, you know, you, you see all type of stuff where these teams change at the bottom in terms of their rotation. And Miami has been similar to the Bulls to where I think you see nights to where they're going to give you a tough game because that defense, just like Chicago, is going to grind you out, make you slow down. You're not going to get any easy buckets. You're going to have to either earn your buckets through, you know, great play calling or just have a superstar who's capable of beating a solid defense, especially uh, a guard who's capable of beating Vooch and drop coverage in the pick and roll, which you will see a ton of those in, the, in a postseason setting. But for Miami specifically, they don't have a lot of those guards who I look at as guys who can punish the Bulls when they go to their default drop coverage with Vooch. Um, obviously, you don't want Jimmy Butler getting a mid-range look. You don't want Tyler Hero or Butler getting into like, you know, getting drawing fouls while getting into a mid-range look. And you don't want Bam getting Vooch into foul trouble or sort of giving him issues in the post. But Bam, despite how much I just said he's a great player, he's never been a guy that's going to get you 25, 30 points um, in an elimination type setting. And so I think the Bulls can game plan on defense pretty easily, as we've seen this season, to take away what Miami wants to do. They're going to obviously run Tyler Hero off the three-point line and force him to get inside and score that way. And they're going to just try to make Jimmy be tired and wear him down. And in a one-game winner-take-all setting, I think the Bulls' defense would give Miami's half-court offense a lot of trouble. 
Um, quick shout out to Raheem Palmer, a former colleague of mine who works at the Ringer. He did some talk about Miami recently, matching up with Philly. And Miami's offense is 23rd when you're talking about just in the half court. So in that bottom half of the league there. So when you talk about a slow down setting, the Bulls defense, we've already seen it in the regular season. They can stop Miami and the Bulls don't have a great offense. But again, when you're talking about a one game setting, I think DeRozan, Vooch, Levine, you can count on one of those guys to give you 30 plus points in one game um, if you're going to slow down Miami. So it's weird where the Bulls have kind of, you know, very obviously a, a bad offense, but Miami is one of the few teams where I think that's a rock fight where the Bulls have just enough firepower to win. So there's a little uncertainty. It, it seems as if it's going to be the Raptors, but it's not set in stone just yet. One thing we know for sure is that the Bulls are locked into the 10th seed um, following their loss to Milwaukee on Wednesday. Billy Donovan may mention that Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, um, Nikola Vucevic may sit Friday's game at Dallas. The injury report has DeRozan and Levine as questionable as well as Alex Caruso. Vucevic, for the moment, is not listed on that report, but what do you think about that strategy? Are you okay with Billy Donovan resting kind of the heavier hitters on this team and then putting them back into the lineup against Detroit Sunday to kind of, for lack of a better word, get their rhythm back or, or make sure that they're in a rhythm going into their play-in game next week? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it caught me a little off guard just because I wasn't sure how the Bulls were going to approach with such a weird sort of end to the season for them. I did think there was a chance they would approach it how it looks like Philadelphia may be approaching it here and sort of playing your stars, just playing everything out, um, maybe just monitoring their minutes a little bit since you are sort of playing for something, just getting into that sort of postseason shape. Uh, I will say, personally, I support the move. I'm not sure. I mean, I know Billy Donovan, he's a head coach, so he cares about winning games above all else. I'm not sure if this is a mandate from the front office. Um, I would have no no intel on that. But personally, it's something I would think maybe the front office just suggested a little bit, um, maybe even a little incentive to Billy. Hey, we'll look out for you some more long term if you maybe give the guys a rest day here, because. Something I've been sort of looking at is the obvious outcome uh, if the Bulls were to lose in the play-in right away, or even if they win the first game and lose that second, is they would be headed to the NBA draft lottery. The Bulls aren't in a position to tank or anything anymore, but if you look at Tankathon as much as I do, or anyone who's sort of obsessed with that, you do notice there's always a minuscule difference when you're talking about those teams, especially in that six through 10 range and six through 14 and the bulls right now, I believe they have the exact same record as let me make sure I can pull it up so I can reference this directly. Yeah. Bulls have the same record as the Oklahoma city thunder and the Dallas Mavericks as of Thursday night. And obviously we all know Dallas is in their weird tailspin right now where they're trying to make the play in tournament, but their season has went terribly. They want to resign Kyrie Irving, no matter what. But if they miss the play in and Kyrie just takes the money and stays like I expect him to or like, you know, let's just say if things work out perfectly for them, Kyrie takes the money and stays. Obviously, Luca's motivated. And then you get a lottery pick to add to Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. Can't really blame them if they want to shut it down and try to miss out on the on the play in altogether and not even give themselves a chance to make the postseason. So 
I don't think you'll obviously see Chicago. They can't do anything like that. They're locked in. But I think you sort of kill two birds with one stone is what Chicago's doing here. You're going to get to have your young guys like Pat and Io and Kobe um, get a lot of quality minutes. You're going to get Dale and Terry maybe even to get a start, I'm assuming, uh, and play a lot of minutes. And then at the same time, if the Bulls lose this game, you're directly, you know, giving Chicago a chance just to slip down a little bit more in those standings when you're talking about the lottery. So Chicago is, you know, they're really doing a smart thing either way. You know, if they are just trying to give their vets, you know, some rest, great. If they're trying to give their vets some rest and maybe, I don't want to say intentionally lose this game, but intentionally lose this game because they're already locked into the plan, I don't think any fan would be mad at the Bulls giving themselves, you know, a better shot in the lottery if you know you're already locked into the plan. Because if things go wrong and they're in that lottery, I mean, you know, with the way they reformatted the lottery odds, we always see at least one team that's going to make that huge leap about six or seven spots out of nowhere. And Chicago, I mean, I think when AK made this trade, he always had this doomsday scenario in the back of his head where maybe I can have my cake and eat it too. And at that point, you get Vooch on an extension, you get DeMar on the long term, and you got a top four pick to go with Zach. It's, it's literally the perfect building there. Um, although I'm sure many people would say that's revisionist history and you could not do the Vooch trade and many other things. But with the spot the Bulls are in right now, um, I think this resting players is a lot is about a lot more than just getting rest. I think there's also a little, little bit of draft lottery angling here as well. And actually, Drew and I were talking about this offline about draft lottery odds. And I think it's good. Like, Drew, what was the stat that you had in, in terms of like their odds of, of getting into the lottery if kind of hit like that that scenario yeah so if it's funny you mentioned that that mike because we were looking at tankathon as well so if the bulls drop these last two games they'll be somewhere around a 20.3 percent chance of them landing in that top four if they win these last two games that falls to a 3.8 percent chance now check this out if they lose those last two games the odds of them getting that number one pick goes to four and a half percent. If they win, it drops all the way to 0.8%. And I was looking this up and our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong or one of you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but no team that has had less than a 1.5% chance of getting the number one pick has actually gotten the number one pick. So again, if they win these last two games, their chances of getting that number one pick plummets to 0.8%. So. See that it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's it, I didn't know you know those exact figures and it was that dramatic. I didn't know when you could talk about those slots. There does start to become some interesting drop off. Um, but again, it's you know I won't commend the Bulls because it's not good to lose games when your goal is to win. But this is really sort of the honestly perfect middling spot for a team that's kind of been middling uh, for for the past few seasons here because. I mean, they really are this entire time, you know, they've been trying to do both. They've been trying to develop, you know, guys who have been top 10 picks alongside veterans who are trying to win now and get to their next contract in terms of guys like Vooch and DeMar. And so it's really weird because I've been pretty vocal about Kobe White being, I think, a big part of this team's future and someone they need to really, really heavily develop and invest in. And you can't do that as much as you should when you're obviously trying to win games or make the postseason and, 
you know, attain that goal as well. So it is interesting hearing those odds. I mean, I still expect them to, you know, fight like hell in that play in game because that's just what they're wired to do. But um, I, it's just, it's interesting. Cause again, as a bulls fan, I'm always very worried and it's the least pressure I've ever felt because even if they mess up their odds and they were to go undefeated and win every game, uh, you know, the Bulls don't need the number one pick is the beauty of this team right now. Uh, with this class, how loaded it is, and really when you look at the Bulls lineup, you could technically say that the holes are everywhere just because outside of Zach Levine, you don't really know how long anyone's going to be on the team. Um, I haven't gotten into the draft as deep as I used to just because I don't have the time anymore. But just on the surface level from watching these guys, any of the kids really inside of the top I want to say seven to eight in this year's class would be guys who I won't say could start on the Bulls or anything because you don't know that type of thing, but they're guys who would immediately come in and fix their issues. Um, the Bulls are in a spot where, similar to the Chicago Bears, you know, they don't have that many holes, but I think if they were to get a top four pick, I would even immediately consider trading down and just getting more assets and getting a prospect because, you know, the Bulls are in a rough spot right now because they've sort of pigeonholed themselves into how they can build out this team until they make a massive move. You're probably going to have to keep re-signing the veterans on short-term deals and then just hoping for some development from the young players on your team. But if they land, obviously, a top four pick in this draft and just this class specifically, it changes uh, quite a bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how they approach things. But um you know, as great as I feel about the team, I don't feel great about the play in, like I said, game itself. But we'll see as those sort of last couple games shake out and we see the matchup. But um, with the way this class is, I can't be mad if the Bulls end up, uh, you know, really playing the lottery odds at the end here. Yeah, definitely an interesting situation to look out for as, as the season winds down here. I think we can all kind of agree, like, championship aspirations are almost at zero given that what outcome are you hoping for in this whole playing scenario you mentioned like seeing some of these young kids play Kobe White Pat Williams what what do you want to see though yeah so the play in itself is you know that's when it becomes weird uh talking about sort of the formation of it because it's not the same as the playoffs, obviously, in the sense that you talk about the young guys getting experience in the playoffs. You're going to get at least four games, even if you get, you know, your your heads kicked in every game. <laughs> You're going to get four games in the play in, of course, um, if you lose, it's one and out. So, you know, does this 35 minutes of hard fought basketball really help Kobe White, you know, in a Bulls loss? Not necessarily. So. The play-in game specifically, at least that first one, because since the Bulls, if they are going to be the 10 seed, they'll have to win two games to get into the actual postseason. Um, it's not really any specific – well, I'll get, it's a two-parter. So, one, I'm looking at the Bulls being able to adjust to adversity. Um, we've seen this team sort of fold under any sort of amount of adversity or scrutiny or pressure – from most of the season. And then we see those fleeting moments where they do the exact opposite and show the heart of a champion. Absolutely. For like two quarters as that Grizzlies game. Uh, you know, I was at that game. I said on Twitter, probably one of the best games I've been to in person in a long time. It felt like a playoff atmosphere. The crowd was into it. Um, and the bulls gave maximum effort to dig themselves out of a hole, which is not easy considering uh, how they are not a three-point shooting team in the era of three-point shooting. So very commendable. But what I'll be looking for most in this play-in game is really, um, it's kind of weird, assuming he's healthy, Alex Caruso's performance. Um, 
it seems a little odd to mention him just because I feel like he's so in players, obviously, or fans, excuse me, you know, as an established guy. But it's not, you know, a secret at all that Caruso has not been very healthy with the Bulls. And to be fair, maybe for most of his career because of his play style, um, he played 41 games for Chicago last year. He played in 65 games this year. But every time you look at the Bulls' top lineups, you're going to see Caruso up there. I think right now their second-best lineup is still the starting lineup with Beverly and Caruso along with the big three that's just absolutely destroying teams defensively. So I really want to see Caruso healthy and his impact in a winner-take-all game because it feels like the perfect setting for someone like Alex Caruso to really thrive and wreak havoc. Um, I think it's not really a secret at all that the Bulls have kept Caruso out of a ton of a games this year when he probably didn't need to be out just because again, he gets hurt a lot through no fault of his own because he should be playing hard. That's how he became Alex Caruso. But because of that, the bulls have had a sort have had to, excuse me, sort of put him in a glass case to protect him and make sure he's intact for the postseason. And to someone who isn't a bulls fan or who doesn't watch a lot of games, it's like, Oh yeah, Alex Russo is that important. You need to keep him out of games and keep him healthy for the postseason. A guy who scores five points a game, but anyone who watches the Bulls knows he really is just that important to the team. Um, while Beverly can actually hit a three sometimes, and it seems like Caruso is really just never able of hitting that open shot when the team really needs him to. It's not his scoring that makes him important. It's everything else. Caruso obviously knows how to blow up another team's defensive plan by taking on the best matchup. We've seen him guard Giannis in a serious game. Um, Caruso doesn't really care the assignment. He's going to make life hell for whoever he, you know, is matched up against. And on top of that, what a lot of fans don't see, you know, especially on TV, you have to be in person, is the communication. Um, the Bulls struggle on defense most when they're not talking. Uh, Vucevic, you know, is just sitting there in his drop position and a guard gets killed by the screen and no one on the court is saying anything. No one's yelling out, you know, right, right, left or their coverages or anything. When Caruso's out there, everyone's talking or at least paying attention. You know, Caruso's barking out directions. And now that Beverly's there too, you know, you amplify that times too. And so when you see that, you can understand how the Bulls, despite not having the personnel, are a great defensive team. So I'm really looking to see Alex Russo healthy and ready to play like 45 minutes if he needs to, because in a winner take all game, especially if it's against a team like the Raptors that are a little bit better offensively than Miami, like I was talking about, you may need Caruso on three different guys. You know, you may need him on Gary Trent for the first corner, first quarter to slow down the hot shooter. Then you may need Caruso on Siakam for a little bit to stop his drives to the rim. Um, you might need him on Scotty Barnes if he has some confidence putting the ball on the floor. So he's so integral to the Bulls defensive strategy. If he wasn't healthy for that play-in game, um, I almost want to tell fans just start preparing for the lottery. No disrespect to the other players because Caruso is the heart and soul of the team. And uh, it's really weird when you would think, you know, the guys who are scoring the most points or getting the most stats are the guys who everyone depends on. But in that Bulls locker room, I really do think that, you know, he may not necessarily be the vocal leader, but everyone knows Caruso is that guy. When he's on the floor, they're going to give it their all because they know Caruso's got their back. And when he's not out there, that trust is a little lacking because even as great as Beverly is, you know, he's a new guy. He's still just getting there. Caruso was, you know, he's he's been in wars with these guys. And, you know, even though he's been in and out of the lineup, he was around when they actually won a playoff game, which it seems like no one seems to remember the Bulls have actually done with this current core and beat him in Milwaukee last season uh, when DeMar went crazy with the 41-point game. So for sure, as long as he's healthy, 
I, I'm just looking for Caruso's impact because in a winner take all game, um, he's going to be out there most of the time. Yeah. So if the Bulls do the unthinkable, what's never been done before as a 10 seed, if they win that first game and then win another game to clinch the eighth seed, how do you see that series with the Bucks shaking out? Do you see them taking a game or two off the Bucks? Are they going to get swept? How do you see that that shaking out? Yeah, it's uh, interesting. I think all season I was super vocal about this as well, that I wanted the Bulls to get that seven seed, assuming the Celtics were going to be the two. Um, the Celtics are an awesome team. Uh, maybe better than the Bucs, depending on who you ask. So I'm not going to sit up here and act like the Bulls would like spank the Celtics or anything. It's just that with them having a little bit of postseason history as well, it would be fun. But the main thing was the Celtics rely so heavily on the three-point shot. If the three-point shot's not falling for them, they're a completely different team. And so I do think that was a team where the Bulls could sort of just sell out on that strategy of stopping the three and then maybe have a chance of DeMar and Zach going head-to-head with Jalen and Tatum. Against the Bucks, it becomes kind of tough because there is no really one thing you can take away. And in terms of Giannis, you can't take him away at all because he's going to get to the free throw line if he if he isn't scoring. Um, I do think if the Bulls did what you said and got all the way through to that series, I do think they would make it a six-game series. And that's not out of me being super confident in the Bulls shocking the world or anything like that. I just think they have the confidence against Milwaukee specifically just because, as I said, They played this team in the postseason before. They already took a game off them. And the game they beat them in was in Milwaukee. So not only are they not scared, they know they can go win a game in Milwaukee. You know, they just happen to get their butts absolutely kicked at home, which they haven't done a lot this year. So, you know, maybe things go differently there. But it's mostly I think you're always going to get one DeMar DeRozan supernova game if in a seven, in a you know, postseason series to where he would give them a game. And then I think last year after losing, you know, I believe they got blown out both games in Chicago, but I know at least they, they didn't do very well. So I think there's some, a little pride there to where even if it's the bucks and their backs are against the wall, the bulls would try to take one of those games at the UC to give the fans something to cheer for. So I think they would somehow win one in Milwaukee, one in Chicago, but maybe lose, you know, lose handily in all the other games. But I do think they would take two games off. And just I want to note, the reason I think they would be playing well at that point is because I think offensively they would have figured something out. Because if they're making it through Toronto, uh, that means they figured out a different way to play. Because the reason I don't want to play them is because most teams try to take away one of DeMar Zakharovich specifically, and they have a very specific way to do so. Toronto absolutely wipes DeMar off the face of the earth when they play each other. Um, I was looking at the numbers and I just wanted to make sure I mentioned on here uh, against the Toronto Raptors. This is over three games. DeMar DeRozan was scoring 14 points a game and he was taking just under nine shot attempts, I believe. So you're talking about one of the best scorers, most clutch players in the league can't get to 10 shots. Not not like, you know, some crazy point plateau or something. He can't get up 10 field goal attempts against Toronto. So they're putting bigger guys on him. They're double teaming. They're trapping. You know, when you watch Raptors Bulls games, it's very apparent early on. Um, they forced DeMar to get rid of the ball so early. He doesn't even rack up assists. 
usually against most teams when they sell out on DeMar, he's just going to make an easy pass and, and rack up assists. He has less than four assists a game against Toronto. So they go so hard against him. It really just makes it a Vooch Zach two man game. And despite playing with each other for two, two and a half seasons here, I don't think Zach and Vooch still don't have a two man game where you're talking about taking down a Nick nurse defense, where they're going to be switching out of two, three zones and in and out of different crazy formations. So I think if the Bulls were to make it all the way to the eight seed, that means you've seen Zach really, really start to get hot as a shooter. You've seen Vooch start to dominate like Jokic in terms of controlling the game with his passing. And you've seen DeMar DeRozan almost become Lonzo Ball and start relying on his passing and making three-point shots, which we've seen DeMar have a couple 40-point, excuse me, 40% three-point shooting months here to end the season. So I think if the Bulls are to make it through the play and make it all the way to the playoffs, they're really capable of taking two games off of anyone because this team plays stellar defense. And when they're locked in, we've seen how good they can be. Um, I think even right now, they might be one of the only play-in teams that has a positive point differential. So <laughs> the Bulls have truly been, you know, the the up and down crazy team where you don't know what to expect from one night to the next. But because of that, I think if you gave those teams at the top a truth serum, they would all tell you Chicago is the team they don't want to see because you might get a random team that's not going to show up or you might get three guys scoring 30 points and some stellar defense out of nowhere. So um, you kind of like to know what you're going up against. And I think for other teams, when you're going up against the Bulls, you're not really sure almost what you're game planning against on a night to night basis. So I think the season hasn't been the season that Bulls fans and even probably Acme expected and, you know, coming off of uh, the heels of, of a disappointing season, barring that, you know, they don't make some miraculous run here. Um, what are some changes that you could see coming this offseason to the Bulls roster? It's it's really tough because of, again, you know, how they've sort of, like I said, pigeonholed themselves into this roster. So as I've said many times on Twitter and I've, I've broken a lot of hearts, um, I think this will be the Bulls team you will be seeing for the foreseeable future with some minor tweaks here and there, because I am aware if the Bulls were to bring back everyone, um, I believe there could be some luxury tax concerns. But interestingly enough, um, the CBA changes that recently came about seem like they may benefit specifically a team like Chicago. Um, so I'm not sure sort of how soon these things will come into effect, but I think the Bulls will have some some options to pertain their flexibility here. In terms of the changes, um, you know, Zach Levine, elephant in the room, obviously, if they were due to, to do anything involving him, it's going to be the biggest return and the biggest way to sort of shift things around if you really want a full scale rebuild. Outside of that, I think you're going to see DeMar and the Bulls sit down and come down to a reasonable contract extension or at least start those talks this offseason with DeMar having a year left. Uh, Despite myself and many other people thinking that the Bulls probably need a different style of starting center than Vucevic, I believe you're probably going to see Vucevic retained on a short-term deal, possibly even with a team option. Uh, And I think the team option would be something he agrees to just because it gives both sides flexibility on a trade. Um, I think people think trades is something that only the front office is thinking about, but I think Vooch might want the money and the certainty from Chicago, but he also might not like playing for the Bulls. So he might accept the team option as a way to easier facilitate a move down the line. So I think a Vucevic extension will get done. Um, If there is a team that really likes him, I think you could see a sign and trade. 
but just looking at the market, I'm not sure of what team would really be interested in Vucevic for a signing trade, unless you're talking about the Dallas Mavericks. And when I look at that team, I just don't see the pieces because I don't see the Bulls uh, being interested in trying to work out a deal for someone like Christian Wood, who would give you obviously a similar issues fit wise as Vucevic there in terms of being a offense first big. So I think center is the obvious place where you could see some change. Um, but unfortunately for fans, I don't think it will be Vucevic. I think it would be Drummond. Um, Drummond has a player option. Uh, you know, as obviously he controls whether or not he wants to stay here. I don't think he's had a, you know, bad go of it or anything. And I'm talking about obviously just personally on the court in Chicago, but the fact that Billy Donovan hasn't played him a ton, I'm not sure what Drummond and his agent obviously expected of his role in Chicago, but me personally, um, I definitely think it was a little bit smaller role than I was expecting for him. So how the center market in the NBA you know, it's very deep. People find centers all the time, but it's not really deep when you're talking about top end backup centers. There's not a lot of those out there. And Drummond, I think, is at a point in his career where he's easily one of the best backup centers in the NBA. So I think even his old team in Philadelphia would love to have him back on the roster. So I think if there are a ton of teams that are courting Andre Drummond, I could see him declining that player option if he thinks he can just go out there and get more money or even a bigger role. Um, so it's the fact that Drummond, I think, can find himself a better role. And then also, I think the Bulls would maybe want to go in a different direction for backup center as well. And it's no fault of Drummond, but with the style of player he is, you see certain matchups where they run into the same problem as with Vooch, where Billy pulls him quickly to put in Derek Jones Jr. and go to a five-man small lineup, something more switchable to go up against teams that aren't going to have really a backup center. And so with the league already having shifted that way in general, um, I think if Drummond is to leave or I think if he stays even, you could see the Bulls try to package Drummond and someone else and try to get a backup center that's someone who's a little bit more defensive minded, maybe a little bit more mobile, um, maybe a little bit more switchable, even though those types of bigs don't grow on trees. But I think that's where you're going to see the change. Um, unfortunately for fans, you know, I don't think Ayo Desunmu is going anywhere, but that's definitely something I would keep an eye on. Um, I know teams around the league would love to have Io because he's a young player and as a second round pick, your negotiations are a little bit more free there on the contract. But I think the Bulls are in a spot where they're going to have to match whatever offer Kobe gets unless it's astronomical. And because of that, it does put you in a weird spot with Kobe, Io, Caruso, assuming they want to bring back Beverly. And then you also have Lonzo's contract on the books. Um, you do start to have a lot in that guard room for a team that is very weak on the wings. So, you know, there's going to be an odd man out somewhere, and I just can't personally say where, because it seems like every one of those guys I just named is a fan favorite. So it's almost impossible to imagine a world where Io DeSunmu isn't on the Bulls, but the Bulls are going to have to find a way to get bigger. Um, you hear the players on the team mention that almost every night in a game where they lose and get out-rebounded. They're not a particularly tall team. And so that starts with getting some more athletes who are six foot seven, six foot eight in that range. So you can match up with teams that are throwing out these really big lineups. And so I think you're going to see a lot of change in that guard room. I mean, you saw Goran Dragic come and go. So based off of the way the teams perform so well as of late, you would assume Patrick Beverly almost has to be back. And I think that puts the rest of the, the backcourt there in a little bit of an awkward spot. So I think you're going to see a lot of changes on the bench. Um, I'm not sure how much change you're going to see among that starting unit. I think if you ask AK right now, he wants to have 
that Beverly Caruso, DeRozan, Vucevic, Levine lineup starting next season. Me personally, I would love to see Kobe White find a way into that starting lineup because I think he is one of the only players on this roster that can really help the Bulls solve that issue of not getting up enough three-point attempts. But I do think the only place you're going to see a major change on this team, um, unfortunately for the fans that I know are starved for big changes, I think you're only going to see that that bench and those role players switch up a bit in terms of the Javante Greens, the Derek Jones type players. I think that's where you're going to see more, more movement. So I know you know all too well that, or how much of a polarizing figure or player Zach Levine has been, still is today. Are the Bulls in a position where they may have to sell off their best player, their max player, the guy they just gave the largest contract to in franchise history? Are they in a position where they need to really move him in order to really recoup adequate draft capital or just a better put themselves in a in a better position than the one that they're in now, where it seems like even if they hold on to this core, they're gonna be bumping their head on a ceiling that stops at best at the fifth seed in the playoffs. When you have to then match up against the Philadelphia's, the Milwaukee's, the Boston's of the world. I know you mentioned how you feel like even this season, you feel like they can get two wins off of any team, but just kind of zooming out and looking at the situation in front of our tourist connoisseurs and Mark and Mark Eversley, would it be- behoove them to try to move Zach in order to spin this thing forward? Maybe not necessarily right away, but put themselves in a position where this franchise can really elevate maybe to a better position than they can with, with Zach Levine. Yeah, that's obviously the the uh, the best possible question right there, Drew. That's like sort of the that's why AK is paid the big bucks there. But um, what I would definitely say on that, it, it's tough. The Vooch the Vooch trade obviously uh, took a lot of you know draft capital from them and made things kind of tough in the near future here. Um, off the top of my head, I want to say the Bulls. I believe they may get their first round pick like in. 2024 and then they have a Spurs pick going or a pick going to the Spurs like in 25 and then basically the Bulls may not have sort of complete control of their own draft picks until I believe 2026 but I think they have one first rounder coming before then so basically what I'm trying to say is it's not as bad on the surface as it looks I know the Blazers pick Um, they obviously went into the tank pretty hard to keep their own draft pick, which I can't blame them. That pick is still owed to the Bulls for a few more years here. So it will be interesting to see uh, next year. The Bulls will still have that Portland top 14 protected pick. Um, So assuming that they are at least competent next year, which I guess we can't assume with the way the West is, the Bulls could have an extra asset, which would be nice. Ultimately, me personally, just zooming out, I wouldn't move Zach Levine Um, Just because, as we've seen with Jimmy Butler and, you know, insert player and keep going back, uh, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So I think for once, even if it's tough for a while, the Bulls need to try to stick it out and try to really give the fans a winner. Um, 
you know, fans are always stuck up on the luxury tax thing. And I think it's it's not good to get too caught up on that because you worry about that when the time comes. You know, as much as I love saying it's not my money, I also can't blame owners for not wanting to pay the luxury tax for a team that, you know, isn't going to be seriously competing for a championship. But that's why you should be going out there and trying to field that type of team and then paying for it. But on on the Zach Levine thing, I think the closest I had ever got to being like, I'm okay with moving Zach Levine was when it was reported, I believe, over the trade deadline, there was some small whispers that the New York Knicks were interested in him. And I, being a huge Duke fan, was like, oh, cool. So R.J. Barrett coming to Chicago. And then it turned out that the rumor was that the Knicks were actually trying to sort of go all in, kudos to them, on, I guess, being a title contender and add Zach Levine to their already great core. And the package they would give up to the Bulls was a mixture of veterans and young players like Derrick Rose and Quentin Grimes. And I believe it was three first round picks. Um, that got my attention because as I was explaining to people, when you're talking about young all-stars, that's just the market now. And that's kind of the ripple effect from the Rudy Gobert trade throwing off the market and then the market reacting by sort of resetting a little bit. But you still see it's going to take you um, multiple quality first round picks these days to get in conversations for all-star talent. And so I don't think the Bulls should go back into rebuilding mode. But if you do, starting with three first round picks, and Quentin Grimes, who's a young player, while the general public may not know about him, he's an excellent shooter, excellent defender, and every team in the league would love to have him. So if you don't even want him, you can trade him again and get more draft picks. Um, the Bulls could theoretically trade Zach Levine and become the Oklahoma City Thunder of the East that people love in terms of having 15 future first-round picks and you know having the promise of controlling the draft. But I just don't think that's the best strategy when you already have an asset as great as Zach. And I mean, asset in this case, and a player that can actually help you win more than someone you would move. Um, if I was to sort of move anything, it would be the the veteran players that are already coveted sort of on the back end. Of course, the argument there is their value goes down the longer you keep them. But that's just the name of the game when you're the Bulls and you're trying to win and develop at the same time. So um, I believe Kevin O'Connor I definitely like mocked on Twitter when I believe he had early in the season said like James Wiseman for Caruso, I believe was like something he had mentioned because the Warriors love Alex Caruso. Those are the type of moves, the ones that I once mocked that the Bulls are going to have to start looking at um, when we're talking about next moves or how to build towards the future. I don't think the move is building Zach Levine to get a ton of assets. I think for the Bulls, the move is going to be using their own scouting around the league, like they're in league scouting of talent around the league to identify who is that young player who doesn't have a big enough role, who isn't utilized enough, who hasn't even cracked the rotation, but everyone has tape on him. Um, who is that player that you can go get in a reasonable trade because the team understands they don't need him and bring that guy in to be the difference maker. So I think rather than trying to trade Zach for a big name, you would maybe try to, like I said, move someone like Derek Jones Jr. and two second round picks and insert player who's going to come in and become a difference maker either on that second unit or one day just develop into what you want. Because just back on that Caruso thing, um, with how important he is, obviously you don't want to get rid of him, but I also mentioned the other side of that is he's injury prone and he's also missing a lot of games. So he does have more value to a team that is a little bit better than the Bulls. So Wiseman, who I, while I cracked on that trade, He's looked okay in Detroit. He's looked decent. Um, at the very least, he's looked like a huge physical kid that's going to be an intimidating presence down there. It is very easy to see how James Wiseman, 
would make this Bulls team a little bit more interesting if he was coming off the bench for Vucevic, just because with all due respect to Andre Drummond, again, Wiseman is just a young player who we haven't even seen the, the surface of his potential, and maybe one day he develops into the Bulls starting center. But the Bulls don't have that type of young player on the roster. Um, you know, Patrick Williams and Kobe White, both great young players. I think Kobe's ready to be a starter now. Um, I mean, Patrick Williams has already been a starter. I just think he needs a little bit more confidence in his game. But I think if this team really wants to take the next steps, they're going to have to rely on that front office that they went out and, you know, got said, Acme, you know, this is a premier front office tandem. They have to prove it and sort of find that diamond in a rough um, that can sort of turn things around. And just to give an example, because I know fans would say, you know, you're saying all of this. Anyone can say that and then not provide an example. Um, I'm sure he's not available for trade at all, but the Indiana Pacers have a backup center, Isaiah Jackson. Um, he's 21 years old. He was an excellent prospect at the University of Kentucky, a guy I was always high on. And I assumed that the plan was for the Pacers to trade Miles Turner. And eventually they would either have Goja Batazzi or Isaiah Jackson be the starting center. Um, that was not the case, as we all can see. Miles Turner got a nice extension, well-deserved. Isaiah Jackson, again, 21-year-old, he's been in the season, or excuse me, been in the league two seasons, plays about 15, 16 minutes a game. Um, in that, like, 16 minutes a game, this kid is averaging, I want to say, one and a half blocks per game. So for his career, you're talking about someone who's giving you over a block per game in 15 minutes. I believe per 36 minutes, Isaiah Jackson, you know, you can just take that up. He's per 36 minutes. He's giving you over three blocks and, you know, 10 rebounds. So on the surface, this is a guy who's an elite rim protector and he just doesn't have a spot in the NBA because the Pacers have an all-star caliber center. Um, these are the type of players AK needs to be calling the Pacers. I know he's important to you. I know he's 21. You literally don't play him. <laughs> How many draft picks and, you know, prospects can I put on the table? Because, this is a kid who's getting 15 minutes a game in Indiana. He could play 26 a night on Chicago um, for how desperately they need rim protection. So um, it's always easy to sort of blow things up and go to the draft. But I think the Bulls need to get a little bit more creative and look around the league. Because when you're talking about center specifically, which is what the Bulls need, um, teams sort of make that position extremely expendable. Centers come and go. So between the G League and the NBA, just looking at benches, um, I don't think it should be hard for the Bulls to, to be able to work out a trade. Just to name another guy while he's on my mind, Paul Reed in Philadelphia, um, a guy who played at DePaul. He's a little bit more of that modern center where you're talking about a mobile guy who's not going to guard Joel Embiid, but he'll go out there and be able to switch and you know stay on Damian Lillard for five to ten seconds and give you a chance to switch back. So the Bulls just need to go out there and look for versatile bigs that can really help their defense because right now, as long as you're playing Drummond and Vooch, those are the same types of bigs. Those are bigs that are primarily going to be best dropping back and drop back coverage in the pick and roll, sort of letting the guard try to run around the screen as they just go back into the paint. And in today's league, you just you can't have your big always drop into the paint. You kind of got to have the wherewithal to be able to switch things up. And to his credit, I think Andre Drummond has actually kicked ass a, a little bit more at that this year than I'm giving him credit for. He's really worked hard and staying in front of smaller, quicker guys when he gets into those switches. But in all fairness to Drummond and Vucevic, we just know rim protection, it's not their game. So if the Bulls are going to be serious, that's something they need to shore up because they have all the makings of a team that's going to play hard perimeter defense and, and clean up the little things, but they just don't have that intimidating presence who's really going to stop teams from just running into the paint over and over again.
you know, I, I like your your mold of thinking of of really attacking the trade market. Um, and one thing that Drew and I talk about quite a bit is, um, you know, looking to some of those those veteran pieces as you were kind of hinting to. But we've actually been talking a lot about the possibility of maybe using this last year of Demar Derozan as bait. Um, and I'm curious if if there was an option to trade Demar Derozan. What kind of piece do you think you can get in return? Is it a combination of draft capital? Is it maybe some of these younger, better fits for a guy like Zach, one that could open up potentially room for Kobe White to enter the starting lineup? Like what what do you think would come in return for somebody like that? And do you think it's even possible? Um, I definitely think it's possible, especially when you're talking about a player like Damar. Um, he's so well respected in this league and so well known players, coaches, everyone knows his game. Um, They know it so well, almost to a fault, I would say. (laughs) Um, Everyone knows exactly what DeMar DeRozan's trying to do. You know, he's an isolation-heavy player. He's incredibly skilled at drawing fouls. He's going to be able to take an average offense and lift it to great. He can take a bad offense and lift it to average. Um, He is just going to need a considerable amount of help when it comes to the playoffs. So because of that, if you're a team that already has a good infrastructure in place, I think DeMar is very attractive to you. I think despite that, because of his age and where he is at in his career, and as I mentioned, you sort of, uh, the book is kind of out on how you guard DeMar DeRozan in the playoffs and how you can make him not effective. I think because of that, you're not going to be able to get more than a first round pick for DeMar, like one first round pick or even one heavily protected first with multiple players. So Because obviously the Bulls gave him a lot more money than he was going to get elsewhere on the market, they do do themselves the favor of making DeMar a player who could be tradable for maybe multiple players on smaller contracts, which is how you usually see a lot of those star trades go. I think he is at a point in his career and how much he really does generally seem to love it in Chicago. If he does want to leave, I think DeMar is the type of guy where he's going to have a very short list of teams he wants to go to. And to be honest, I think he would probably only want to go to one of the two LA teams just based off of the way he's talked throughout his career. I would assume, I'm not sure if he necessarily wants to retire a Laker or a Clipper, um, but it certainly feels like before he retires, he's going to do that one way or another. So I would think if any sort of deal comes down, the Bulls would be negotiating uh, with those two LA teams to try to work out something beneficial for both sides, just because in today's NBA really seems like these trades are, almost always beneficial for everyone now just because after the Rudy Gobert deal everyone just made like a handshake agreement to try to help each other out I guess but (laughs) sort of where I think it leans here is the Bulls um based off of everything we've seen with the Lakers front office I mean this respectfully I just can't see the Bulls getting very far in a negotiation with them it seems like things would very quickly get off the rails so I I would assume you would see DeMar and I could be wrong here but I would assume it would be a DeMar to the Clippers Uh, type deal just because that's been the better team in LA pretty much all of pretty much literally every time outside of of course the bubble where the Lakers won the title we've seen the Clippers dominating specifically in that matchup uh, especially and I just think when you look at that roster you have Kawhi you have Paul George and then pretty much you have everyone who's been handpicked or by them or the GMs to sort of help them uh, win the title. So everyone that joins the Clippers is kind of like a title winning mercenary, so to speak, or at least that's what they want to be. You're, you're going there to obviously help Kawhi uh, get his L.A. ring. And with this Paul George injury, we've seen recently how 
obviously, you know, when one of them goes down, despite all the role players and the depth, I mean, we'll see in the playoffs, but it really does throw off their strategy. You know, the Clippers are excellent, just like the Bulls, because they have that excellent wing duo. Um, so I think it would behoove the Clippers to add someone like DeMar because DeMar, one of the most durable stars in the game, something that people actually do give him credit for. He almost never misses games. I think it would really help the Clippers to be able to have DeMar as almost a regular season cheat code um, to where, you know, DeMar is going to rack up 30 point, 40 point games, 50 point games, win you a ton of games in the regular season. And then the sort of thing that people say about DeMar is when you get to the postseason, he obviously can't carry a squad through. Well, if you have DeMar DeRozan alongside Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, obviously that changes the equation quite a bit and it becomes almost impossible to guard the three of those guys. Now, I'm no cap guru and financially I know there are probably a thousand different reasons on the surface that isn't possible. But assuming that there is enough contract money uh, to cobble together and enough CBA rules or something to make it work, um, the Clippers have more than enough players, guys that the Bulls would need to help them. Someone I've mentioned a lot is Luke Kennard. I think last year he led the NBA in three-point percentage. He shot around, I think, 43 or 44%. Um, obviously, a match made in heaven. The Bulls are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league in terms of volume. Um, so Luke Kennard can obviously help you get that volume up, and then he's a knockdown shooter. Having elite shooters around a guy like Zach Levine would really allow people to see him become an even better scorer and I don't think that's something the Bulls fans can fathom that Zach Levine could probably take it up another level, <laughs> which doesn't seem possible. But if the Bulls had knocked down three-point shooters, um, you really would see Zach getting to the free throw line, I think, almost like eight or nine times a game, like the top guys, because he would have a little bit more space to work with. Um, with Patrick Beverly, even a guy I love like Ayo Desumu, you see the best teams in the league, they're going to have someone on them play free safety pretty much and sit in the paint in that two nine position, just putting one foot in the paint, one foot out, just help it on drives and everything because they're not scared of them. So no matter who it is, if they're an elite three point shooter, the bulls need to find a way to get them on the roster. And so that's why if they were to move to Mar, I think you would want to look at the Clippers because between the two LA teams, um, I mean, the Lakers have the same issues as the bulls, you know, they, they didn't have enough shooting. So they've been trying to add that. And they've been a lot better since they went out and added shooting at the deadline. Guys like Malik Beasley, um, a player that the Bulls probably should have kind of found a way to get in on. But that's the name of the game. If you're not a three-point shooting team, you have to find a way to get shooters, even if you're going to have to give up some legit talent. But um, I think the, the Clippers would be the team you look at because of, again, those young prospects they have. But I do just want to mention the Lakers because I wouldn't be interested in this player for the Bulls. But just going back to my previous point, Rui Hachimura. That's another type of player when I was talking about. You're taking a chance. The Lakers haven't used him a ton, but who knows? Maybe in five years, Rui Hachimura is a 25-point-per-game scorer. Um, you have to go out and get these young guys when their stock is that low because you give yourselves a chance to be the team that discovers that players and unearths them. And as the Bulls know with Larry Marketing, it's not very fun to be on the other side of that when you let a young guy go and then you get to see him blossom somewhere else. So I think for once, Bulls fans would be pretty happy if they could see them be on the other side of that story where we take in a young guy and then he flourishes into a great player on the Bulls. And as we started this segment here, that's what trading DeMar DeRosa would ultimately give you a chance to do because you can be able to get some veteran talent and then also say, you know, hey, can you throw in a, a Jason Preston, uh, who's a young point guard on the Clippers, who, you know, he he may not become an NBA caliber guard ever. But my point is, you have to be able to look at some of these young guys who aren't already established 
and try to figure out how would they fit next to Zach Levine or, or in your ecosystem. So it's tough because even though I know the point of this was if we were trading DeMar, what you would look for, I think almost from an organizational perspective, they can't trade DeMar in a weird way. And I know fans would be like, Michael, we are not trying to hear this, but because of what he represents, um, it's weird. But this Bulls team, as much as Vooch was the first domino, you know, the first serious player they got to help Zach, the Bulls fortunes really changed from being a laughing stock to a team that at least got talked about nationally once they got DeMar DeRozan. Um, that was when things turned around. And when he went on that run last year where he was unquestionably the most clutch player in the NBA and the first man to hit game winners on back-to-back days in NBA history, I think even if it doesn't amount to anything substantial, which to a fan substantial is a championship or a conference final appearance, I think he meant so much to getting the Bulls out of that basement back into general NBA discussion again that it would be kind of nice for them to have him retire as a Chicago Bull if there was a way to make it happen. Just because, you know, with the history of the organization, it seems like we are almost never granted a happy ending uh, with our great players in a Chicago uniform. So although I know fans are like, what are you talking about, Michael? It means more to trade tomorrow and get, you know, young players and picks and prospects. When you talk to these free agents, you know, guys who are going to be coming up and, you know, if you have a chance to sign a Paul George one day, they care about how you treat the older guys, you know, not how many draft picks you get, not how bright your future looks in terms of, you know, uh, trade exceptions. They don't care about any of that. They care about how your relationships with the players went. So as important as getting a great haul for DeMar DeRozan would be, I think actually for the future of the Bulls, it's more important for them to foster a good relationship with him, regardless of what it is. So basically um, what he wants You know, if DeMar wants to leave, I think the Bulls should do right by him and and find a trade for him. And if he says he just wants more money to ball out in Chicago, I think by all means they should keep giving him the money and keep letting him ball out. Because DeMar's the type of player where even as he fades into his older years, his game is going to stick. He's not a high flyer. We know he's going to get to his mid-range. And as he gets older, he seems like he's determined to be a knockdown three-point shooter. And if DeMar DeRozan becomes a knockdown three-point shooter, he's kind of starting to solve the entire issue we had in the first place. So um, I think he's a good enough inspiration in terms of to the younger players on the team. I think the longer you keep DeMar DeRozan around, you're going to see a better Kobe White. I think the longer you have DeMar DeRozan on the roster, you're going to see a more improved Daylon Terry. Uh, because as much as I love Zach, it's, it's DeMar, Pat, the older guys on the team that we know are day-to-day talking and working with those young players more. And that's not even meant as a dig. You know, Zach's, you know, in his mid-20s. I don't expect him to be doing that. But it's just, I think DeMar means so much to this team as just sort of a, a silent tone setter in a way. Weirdly, he's the silent leader of the team that sort of helps change the culture. I, I think it means more to keep him around And I think there's enough on the roster to sort of change things around and and sort of get flexibility elsewhere, because as important as Vooch is to the team, if you could find a team that was willing to give you any sort of real assets for Vooch, I think the Bulls would have to take it because right now that's the clear place to where you could change things around and at least pivot to a Levine DeRozan core with something else at the five spot. Two areas of improvement I've heard you mentioned in terms of what the Bulls need to do moving forward to to fix this roster or better complement Zach Levine specifically is their rim protection and their three-point shooting. Which one takes precedence over the other this offseason, in your opinion? Um, without a doubt, it's the three-point shooting. 
And that's just because the nature of the roster. So Kobe White is the guy I gush about and I talk about how I think he should start. And I think his development is really what's going to turn around this Bulls team. And that's because the the aggression, the decisiveness that I want Patrick Williams to have, Kobe's always had. That's a little unfair to Patrick because, to be fair, Kobe White's always been a score first player. Um, I think, you know, he still holds the record for most points in North Carolina high school history. You know, he's he's always been a certified bucket. But the thing for him is the game has finally slowed to slowed down to where, you know, he he can make the right read. He knows he doesn't always need to be going 100 miles an hour. He knows how to change speeds and, and how to get into his different motions here. So I think ultimately three point shooting has to sort of take precedence here, because even if a guy like Patrick Williams takes the same leap that I think Kobe will, you know, that's not his game. Pat's an efficient three point shooter, but usually he's going to give you four or five clean looks a game. If that, um, you know, we've seen really for most of his career, and I'm talking about later on, you know, right now, I think Pat's taking maybe two, three, three, get two or three threes a game at most, excuse me. Um, But basically the three point shooting has to take presence because on the roster, it's just up and down. It's not guys that any NBA defense is respecting in a playoff setting. Um, Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., um, Andre Drummond, obviously. Uh, the Bulls bench has some interesting, very tough guys. And when I named these names, it makes sense why the Bulls have a good defense. Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., Andre Drummond. Um, they have a lot of guys who are going to be physical and, and fight for rebounds, but they don't have a lot of offensive firepower. So I think the obvious issue with the Bulls roster, I've talked about this on Twitter, comes with the fact that you can even see it with our starting lineup. Vucevic has to stay at the three-point line a lot and take a lot of threes, more than he did, I would say, for a lot of stretches in his career. And that's because he has to give space in the paint for Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan to drive. Um, What's interesting is when you take Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan off of the court and you go to our bench, outside of Kobe, none of the Bulls' guards have been excellent at putting pressure on the rim when you're talking about driving to the basket. That's not really Caruso's game. Obviously, Patrick Beverly, that's not his game. I have Dasumu offensively, it's just complimentary. He's not really a guy that's attacking you downhill. And so because of that, you see the Bulls offense get very stagnant when the bench comes in. Um, I think you have to adjust the three-point shooting because you've seen the Bulls have been able to field a top 10 defense without having an elite rim protector. So when I talk about that elite rim protection, that's more so if the Bulls are serious about trying to become a title contender. Um, If they are serious about being a team with championship aspirations, then having a top 10 defense in the regular season is great. But when you get to the playoffs, that defense is going to be tested even more because teams are going to be tuning in on your specific weakness. And with the Bulls right now, it's very obvious that they're going to attack Vooch in the pick and roll. And the only counter the Bulls have right now is to take out Vooch and put in Derek Jones Jr. um, for that small five-man lineup. And unfortunately, against the best teams in the league, I just – don't think that lineup is good enough. And so, like I said, you know, that mobile center, having that mobile switchable center or just the six, nine guy who can have some rim protection. That's more so when we're talking about the bulls winning a seven game series against the Milwaukee's of the world or the Cleveland's of the world. But when you're talking about day-to-day regular season, every single day, it has to be the three point shooting that's addressed first and foremost, because With this Bulls team, when you look at the players that are on this roster, there's no way um, the offense should be bad. And that's obviously because you have three great offensive players and then almost no other great offensive players outside of them. That's why really 
um, I keep emphasizing Kobe White's development because right now he's the only non-established player that I can see being a 20 point per game scorer uh, in the NBA one day. You know, I don't see Patrick Williams becoming that type of player and Dale and Terry, we just haven't seen enough yet. So if Kobe is really the only guy on your team that's a young player who's capable of being a leading scorer one day, um, that's why I think he needs to be invested in because we're looking down on a future to where the team is going to be Kobe White, Zach Levine, and Patrick Williams. And as much as that sounds funny now, you know, we're going to need those two guys and Kobe and Pat to be a lot better, um, obviously, if that team's still going to be good at that point. So it, it's going to be interesting, but you have to address the three-point shooting because those Bulls comeback wins this year have been inspiring. But we all know the reason they've been comeback wins is because the Bulls play with bad math every night. Um, they start off with the opponent firing off three-pointers, and whether they're going in or not, they're coming down 3-3-3, three, 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 and then the Bulls are coming down 2-2-2. Two, two, two. And, you know, it doesn't matter if they're shooting 60% from the field, if they're just not taking threes and the opponent's knocking them down. So the Bulls have to be able to win that math battle. They have to have at least a few more three-point shooters. They don't even need to be the best. They just need to be in the middle of the pack. I think the Bulls were in the bottom five in terms of three-point attempts. So if they can get that number up respectably, next year you could see it where the Bulls aren't a playing team. Next year the Bulls could be the five seed or the four seed because you need to stack those regular season wins now to avoid this play-in situation. And if the Bulls had legitimate three-point shooters on their bench, they would have probably won literally six or seven more games this year just from being able to play competent offense in those first two quarters. So um, I think you're going to have to see them address the three-point shooting because you can't play behind every single night. It's just too wearing on your players. And on top of the fact that it also leads to the players being behind and in a deficit all the time, it also is a strategy that can very quickly make players resent each other. Um, I'm not in the locker room, so I can't speak to it personally. But if you're DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, Vucevic, I imagine it's pretty frustrating if you feel like you can go get 30 every night. And when you get double or triple teamed, you pass to a wide open guy who you don't have any confidence in to make the, the shot. So you're talking about the NBA here. So, you know, the starting lineup, it's OK if you have those holes. You know, Beverly and Caruso have managed to kick ass as starters, even without being great shooters because of everything else they do. But you can't have your starting guards not able to shoot threes and then bring in backup guards who also can't shoot threes. So they don't need to necessarily clean house. But whether it's bringing in a shooting coach to work with guys, it's just, you know, regardless of how it gets done, the Bulls are going to have to be better from the three-point line next year. And I think that um, really is going to have to take precedence above literally all else. So, Michael, before we spring you loose, where can everybody find uh, your work, your tweets, get all your good information that you you provide Bulls fans all the time? Yeah, yeah, of course. So uh, these days I am working for Caesars Sportsbook, so you don't see me around the Bulls waters as, as much as you usually do. But you can still follow me on Twitter at Zen Master Mike, or you can just look up my name, which is Michael Walton. Um, not hard to find. I am always running my mouth about the Chicago Bulls or music or something of that nature. Um, outside of that, definitely follow Bulls Confidential. That is our website where we are blogging and breaking down the Bulls. Quick shout out to Jeffrey Clark, my co-editor, who has done a great job. And uh, yeah, outside of that, I really just like to give a shout out to all the other people doing great work in the Bulls space. Obviously, you guys at Rebuild the Bulls. Um, we are Regal Sports Radio, CHGO Sports, NBC, 
a lot of my guys out there still all around doing great work. Um, quick shout out to Rob Schaefer as well, homie, who is doing some freelance for the Bulls right now. Everyone knows Rob Schaefer, obviously, if you follow the Bulls. So, yeah, it's uh, really been a fun season. I would love to talk Bulls with you guys. If you want to yell at me about Zach Levine or any of my takes, I am always open for business. But, yeah, man, outside of that. I'll just be getting ready for this plan. Like I said, it's looking like it's going to be Chicago, Toronto. Who knows? Uh, but either way, I'm pretty confident in the Bulls' outlook because although on the surface it looks pretty bleak, I feel like luck always shines down on Chicago for some reason when it comes to the draft lottery. So if they head to the draft lottery, I'm feeling pretty good. And if they somehow make it out of this play-in, I know their defense at least gives them a chance to compete. So um like I said, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Six and four in their last 10 games at the time we recorded this, though they have lost two straight, and we know they're pretty much ramping things down for the play-in tournament. So I'm almost really getting into off-season mode here, ready to talk about some contract numbers with how ridiculous this cap is looking these days. But uh, yeah, like I said, Zen Master Mike is where to follow me on Twitter. And uh, like I said, always down to talk some hoops with anyone. Hey, your lips to the basketball gods ears when it comes to that scenario of, uh, you know, maybe that happening this off season with some draft luck, because you, you are right. It does seem to happen, although there was a stretch there where the Bulls just kept getting the number seven pick. So we, we did have some bad luck, I feel like, when we wanted it the most. But yeah, and it seems like the lottery seems to reward the teams that are trying at the end of the season. And when you're talking about trying, I don't know if anyone, win or loss, has tried as hard as the Bulls have <laughs> these uh, past few weeks to make something happen. So, yeah, one way or another, they definitely deserve uh, a little bit of lottery luck as I watch Chris Dunn drive to the rim for the Utah Jazz. And that's just the type of year it's been as a Bulls fan. So. <laughs> well, Michael, thanks uh, again for joining us and look forward to having you on in the near future. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. And I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Always good to have Michael on. So, Drew, as we wrap up here, prediction. What do you what do you think is going to transpire uh, down the stretch here? You know, who do you think the Bulls are going to face? Does it really matter at this point? What's your gut feeling on how this whole play-in scenario is going to unfold? I think it does matter. I, I was of the mind that I would rather see the Bulls play the Hawks as opposed to the Raptors, but the way it stands currently it's looking like it's going to be the Raptors because the Hawks have the tiebreaker over them. And essentially the Hawks would have to lose out and the Raptors would have to win out for that to happen. So it's looking like it's going to be the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors are a pretty good team at home. The Bulls, although they're not any great shakes at home at the United Center, they're even worse on the road. So that's this is the one team that can really give them fits with the way they play defensively, with their athleticism, their length, um, the way that Nick Nurse coaches them up and the different schemes that he draws up and the way that he can attack DeMar DeRose and Zach Levine and, and make other guys have to beat them. So I think the Bulls are one and done in the play-in, and from there we head to an offseason full of questions. I'm I'm with you on this. I Definitely agree about the offseason full of questions, but I, I do think we're going to see a matchup against Toronto and they've given them fits all year. So uh, I do think they bounce out in one game. I will say this, though. 
I always feel like with the Bulls, there's always that possibility. Just when you think they're going to lay down and die, somehow they rise to the occasion at the most random times. So would I be surprised if they beat the Raptors? Not at all. I, I don't think I'd be surprised. Heck, I wouldn't be surprised if they won then the, the second game and back their way into the playoffs. It, it would not shock me, but I'm not holding my breath and count on it. I guess that's that's how I would say it. I totally get it. And given the season that we've just watched these guys uh, put in, I don't think anybody can blame you. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, hopefully everybody uh, enjoys. Uh, if you celebrate good Easter holiday this weekend, you get to watch some NBA basketball. There's plenty of games to wrap up the season, including uh, Bulls against the Pistons. And we'll see what happens. We'll see where they end up. And hopefully you enjoy some some good play in basketball shortly after that. So you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at until 88. Excuse me. Oof. One more time. I'm at mgentil88. Drew's at look what Drew did. And you can follow the Rebuildable podcast at rebuild underscore a underscore bowl. All the latest episodes drop there. Retweets of us. Our thoughts. And you can also subscribe to the Rebuildable Podcast on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, all the places you you stream your podcasts, we're there. Please subscribe, like it, definitely helps you get the latest episode right at your fingertips as soon as it drops. So always a good benefit to do that. With Drew Stevens, I'm Matt Gentile. Thanks for listening and we'll chat soon. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.